queen ten. Yeah, Levy with the queen ten and the win. Called the race with the. He called the race with queen ten, honey. I know, honey. He's some online guy. And that's fair. Above the meta. This is episode three. I am Adam Levy, aka Ruthless. Uh, have plenty of other names, but we don't have to go into that right now. Uh, and we have Patrick Darmody. You got any nicknames over there, big guy? Uh, God, uh, I do not. You want to give me a nickname right now? I what? do not, because it will be a terrible one. You could say I, any. I, nickname. I'm not good on the fly like that. You could say any nickname, and I would just own it for life, because that's my level of commitment. <laughs> I, I, in my head, I like want to type like P Darms, but it's just like uh, it's just not exactly there. I yeah, I, I got that a lot. Uh, chicken Darmajan is something uh, I got called a few times. Um, that not, that's creative. I like it. I'm not sure I like it, but we'll we'll move on from that. Fair um, enough. But I'm streaming at Above the Meta, so find me on Twitch. That's where you and I. Will oh, stream. nice. Yeah, sweet, awesome. Get into that. Yeah, streaming's fun. It's uh kind of I mean it's crushing right now, but um, Yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about that. Definitely going to have to watch what, you know, hop on a uh, line. Maybe we'll do a co-stream together. That's what I'm saying. Uh Warzone doubles are coming out. You and I maybe should just get into Animal Crossing, visit Rocket uh, League. <laughs> yeah. Adam, I got to say, uh so the big news from the sporting world this week is sports is back. We had uh Two UFCs by the time of this recording and one more over the weekend in your home state of Florida, which, again, leads the nation in uh, haughty disregard for the, the pandemic. So as a proud son of uh, the Sunshine State, how do you feel about Florida pioneering the path to sports in the United States again? Uh, I mean, uneasily. I got, I'm happy that there is sports, but I'm definitely very uneasy about it. I saw that there was no... Uh, no audience, which was kind of funny. Yeah, you know, it was no fans. It was, it was really interesting to watch. I mean, uh, <laughs> so one guy tested for Corona like before the match. So that's, you know, kind of wild. But yeah, the no fans thing was interesting. Um, you could hear the corners, which is kind of rare. And it was interesting because you would see the fighters reacting. What do you mean more. by corners? To so the corner, the guys who uh, like your coach and the guys who oh, do your cut, your yeah, cut yeah, crew and yeah. stuff. So it was so funny. Um Greg Hardy like overheard the other corner saying like watch out for his leg kick. So then he like faked a leg kick and punched him in the face or something. It was really interesting because they're not used to being able to hear each other because there's normally crowd. But yeah, it was interesting. That that's actually interesting. So because like now like the, like we're talking about with metagame, yeah. uh, uh, if you're hearing someone talk now, or you know, are there are they supposed to be whispering, or are they maybe saying some code? You know, it's maybe it's now like a baseball kind of third baseman, uh, third base coach who now has to maybe have some signs so the guy across the ring doesn't hear what he's suggesting. Uh, his uh, fighter do. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a really interesting observation. Think about how the metagame of USC evolves now that there's like audible corners and you can kind of hear the intelligence being given to the other guy. Uh, you can kind of prep accordingly. I was just thrilled to see that the uh, the ring card girls are still working. They're apparently essential employees. Uh, no masks, though, but nice to see that the lovely ladies of Jacksonville, Florida are, are getting work out there. <laughs> yeah, go Jags. Uh, yeah. So what have you been playing lately? Yeah, we got a pretty full show today. I think uh, just to give a quick rundown, I, I definitely want to hear about 
uh, Valorant, which I know you've been playing a lot of. Uh, I've been playing Runeterra, the other Riot game that came out recently. And like I said in the last pod, after hearing those Dota 2 uh, prize pools, I actually fired up the old uh, Steam machine and, and got on Dota 2, been playing a little bit of that, oh. uh, which is fun. I haven't played Dota. I mean, I played Dota 2 when it came out, and I played a lot of the original Back of the Warcraft three days. So it was kind of fun revisiting uh, my squandered youth <laughs> over the weekend. So I have a question. With Do- when you say Dota 2 and you say the original, do you mean Warcraft 3 is in the original or as in there was a Dota? Yeah, so uh, the history of Dota is there's someone before this guy Icefrog who made like the original. And then on the Frozen Throne, which is the expansion of Warcraft 3, which came out I think in 2003, this guy named Icefrog created the like updated map of Dota All-Stars. So there's a Warcraft 3 mod that became like incredibly complex and actually in a lot of ways more innovative than the yeah. base experience of the game. He actually went on to work at Valve, which is why they have like the exact same characters, the exact same items. I mean, it's a lot of ways the same game, kind of what we were talking about last time. It's the same experience as like this 2003 game, just obviously updated graphically and all these other things. But overwhelmingly complex to jump back in i mean have you played dota 2 uh i've i downloaded it and played it a little bit but it's one of those things where it's like okay i'm gonna have to commit a lot a a lot of hours to this to even be competent and there are other types of games that i just immediately like off the bat whereas that you know i just felt like this is there's a lot of intricacies to this it seems like it could be very fun for sure and it's fun to watch Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great viewing experience, which is something we're going we're gonna to talk about in a bit here. But in terms of complexity, I mean, there's like hundreds of characters now, maybe not hundreds, but so many. They all have their own like specific builds that you can do. And to be competitive, you have to understand the intricacies of like every single hero, right? To understand matchups and all these other things. It's, I think the most interesting esport for that reason is because there's like a, it combines a lot of different things. We're getting on a bit of a tangent here, but there's a real mechanical skill component in terms of like the abilities per minute. How fast can you react? How fast can you do uh, all these other things? But also there's like an awareness, kind of uh, like a, a court awareness because there's the three lanes. You have to be constantly watching for people to go and come and attack you and, you know, uh, sneak behind you and that kind of stuff. But then there's this like real building tension because it's essentially a competitive RPG, as you know. So yeah. if you're not constantly getting better and leveling up and getting more items and gold and stuff, you're just falling behind. And it's, for that reason, the most like stress-inducing environment <laughs> I've, uh, I've ever had in, like, a, in a game. And that's why I played it for like a couple of matches. I'm just like, I, I can't handle this. You know, I'm an old I, man. I, yeah, I played Warcraft 2. The reason why I was asking about Dota 2 was because... Uh, and I knew I knew that it was a mod, but I wasn't sure if there was a Dota originally, and th- that was the mod. And, yeah. and like Warcraft Two for me, or sorry, better yet, Street Fighter Two. When you play Street Fighter Two, I don't even know if Street Fighter One existed. Like maybe it did, but Street Fighter Two was right there, and it felt like Warcraft was similar. Where it was like, I know there was a Warcraft, but I barely played it, and I've rarely seen it. But Warcraft Two took up most of my time. Yeah, I've actually played all of them. Uh, Warcraft 1 is one of the original games I can remember playing. And it's interesting because it's like completely symmetrical. There's the orcs, there's the humans. That's like the titular um, 
adversaries there. And they're exactly the same, except their skins are different. So you're either having like a, you know, a guy with a sword and a shield or a green guy with a sword and a shield. They're exactly the same. Um, and then, yeah, as you re- as you are like alluding to, it didn't really like do anything. And then Warcraft 2 came out and they actually made asymmetrical sides, made it a little bit more interesting. And that's like the game that everybody remembers, right? Um, yeah. And it was Street great Fighters innovation game. to add the heroes. Yeah, so that was eventually Warcraft Three. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, Warcraft Three is still obviously they did a remaster like last year. It's still a game that's played like the original is still played today for that reason because it's just a cool concept taken to like a very interesting place and fleshed out uh, really well. So I I would still play Warcraft Three if I had uh, had access to it. Uh, unfortunately, or probably fortunately, I uh, <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> yeah, if you had infinite time. Yeah, well, I basically do to the Corona. But uh, yes, yeah, so what about you? What have you been playing? Uh, uh, specifically today, it's been all over the place. I've been playing a lot of Magic. I actually went, um, I had, I was in contention for uh, like to top eight this qualifier to a Pro Tour. It was six and one and it was a nine round thing. And then I ended up uh, uh, just kind of like I, I ran it. Basically, sometimes you run into the nuts like in ma- in poker, you run into nuts in magic where the guy just had like card after card. I was like, I, I just can't compete with this deck. And that was fun. Um, I tried out Legends Ruterra. We'll get into that later. Uh, Valorant finally got a beta key and uh, played that a little bit. That was cool. Played Rocket League today. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just kind of been... I was going to play FIFA, but I had to update. Damn updates. But yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty full full week you've had, or even today. So I'm curious, what was the deck that you were playing in, in Magic? And I guess, what was the counter you ran into? Well, it's... um So... Do you know the differences in formats? There's oh, you play draft. Yeah, uh, I forget you always play draft. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. what? Uh, I, what that guy have? Uh, basically, that guy had like a uh, he. So remember last week we were talking about the companions, the ones that like have certain restrictions. Yep. He had like two of the same companion, and he had two other companions on top of that. So they're all rares. So you only get six rares in a uh, a sealed pool, a limited pool of cards. There's only like 90 cards or 80 cards, whatever it is. And he had six of them that are four of the six were companions. And like they all have certain abilities that are very strong kind of already. So eventually I was just like, okay, I can't beat four of them. You know, Jeez. I had one. I think I had one, but it didn't matter. I mean, sometimes you just high roll, right? Like that's sort of the beauty of card games. Again, yeah, uh, we'll talk about that. That's what I love and hate because you love being on that side where you're just like, I cannot believe that I basically am fighting these people who have pitchforks with like this, you know, a sixteen warthog. Because I just, you know, I got lucky, right? Like that's that's a Halo reference, a game I have never played, but I knew that. Well, uh, yeah, I think there's also a plane called the Warthog. It's the, it's also in Warzone. It's a low flying one. That's oh okay. So it was a Call of Duty reference. It's more of like a U.S. military reference, but fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. So are you you out for the Masters? It sounds like you're not going to make it. Oh, I mean, there's a bunch of them periodically. So like, if I want to play another one, it's just like a fun thing to do when I'm at home not playing poker and just like you know just not too much going on 
Yeah, I might have to jump back into Magic. The more you talk about it, because I, I love the draft format for the reasons we just talked about. And if there's some sort of competitive element, I'm in. I might have to do Magic that. Arena is uh, pretty awesome, to be honest. Like, it's very much like Hearthstone, but, uh, you know, obviously they don't have it on Max, which is an issue. For yeah. Me. Do they have it on mobile? Because I got the new iPhone, man. Not yet. Soon. Uh, they they uh, did say they were going mobile soon. Oh, that the patented Blizzard soon. You got to love that. Yeah. Awesome, man. So I uh, want to hear, though. So Valorant, you, you, you name dropped that one. What was your, your first impression? Uh, well, I want to put out this, put this out there first. I am not a shooter player. I've never played like, uh, I played GoldenEye. That's my favorite shooter of all time. I played Fortnite. I think I got third once and mm. I snuck in a, hit in a tree or maybe I was one of the um, the bushes that was like the the legendary uh item that i got and i just hit out and um i still never won i played apex legends with a a friend of mine and it was he was used to be a pro uh gamer for i think uh titanfall or something and i could just hear him in in his voice like like he was trying to keep it together but i was just so bad that it was like he was like i know you're bad but i just can't handle this and so i mean i played valorant today it was really interesting because i've never even played counter-strike so it was cool that I got to – so I guess for people who haven't played Valorant basically, or for you to explain it, it was basically like there were I think 15 matches or you played two 15 and there were all these like mini games of trying to find the attackers or defenders in this map and you'd get different guns and whatever and you're on a team five on five and it was cool. But I just – thought that I I did a little bit of training beforehand, but it was just, I was too slow with the gun. And I think I had a couple kills though. It wasn't nearly as tough as Fortnite or uh, Apex, but I mean, I really liked, I thought that one of the complaints I heard was the graphics were not really high level, but I mean, it's the, the use, the UI I thought was great. I thought it was really easy to use and um very fluid and like i didn't have any issues with my computer or anything it it ran pretty fast and yeah the graphics weren't insane but overall i I thought it was a cool concept and seemed i get the hype i guess you get the hype um yeah it's interesting so like the going back to dota but like the valve versus riot approach um riot always it seems like tries to make their games really easy to pick up and play so you said like the learning curve wasn't super super high. Yeah, I think well, uh, I think it's so. I guess we're gonna use Rocket League here just because uh, <laughs> I'm very well well versed in it. Yeah. But Rocket League, the, so the it's not about the learning curve being sorry. It's about the concept being super easy and visibly like like you can watch and understand exactly what you have to do. You know, like Dota takes a little bit to understand like, oh, you got to like, you know, kill you know, get the temple or whatever. And, and or, you know, like it's defense of the defense of the ancients. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's called. So, so it's like, OK, um, but Rocket League, you just know you're hitting this ball and you have to get in a goal. And yeah, you're terrible at it. But you know that the, the concept and, and it's fun to just hit the ball. So it's you put up with the BS of being bad at the game. And that's kind of how I felt with um, 
Legends of Runeterra, or sorry, not Legends of Runeterra, but uh, Valorant, Valorant yeah. was that it was just like, yeah, I'm bad, but I'm part of a team and I'm trying to like do certain things, like even my special ability that like I don't really know when to use it or even really what it does very well. I'm still trying to use it and, and stay up with the guys and, and not let them down, which I found kind of fun. Awesome. Did you uh, did you forge like a lifelong brotherhood with the people you tried to plant the spike in? Was it very like gripping I, that I, way? <laughs> I didn't I didn't say a word the entire time because I, I was either going to be like, "Hi, this is my first game ever," or I wasn't going to say a peep and hope they didn't yell at me. And like they were just like communicating with other people, and I was just like, "Don't oh cough." <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm sure they'll uh, they'll they might not remember you, but they'll remember how you made them feel. <laughs> Well, that's cool. I'm glad uh, you had a first impression that uh, seems positive. So, you know, zero to 10, where are you at in terms of your ability to enjoy that game? Are you going to be playing more of it? Uh, I mean, I'll probably go with like a, a six, you know, like uh, it's a game that if all of a sudden I had four other friends who were like, yo, we're, we're squatting up. Let's play some Valorant. Sure. You're going to deal. I'm going to be bad. You're going to deal with that. And maybe I will just play a little bit more on my own and get better. It felt like something that I could at least be competent at. I played Unreal. Actually, yeah, played Unreal Tournament uh, like 2004 or something. And I loved that game. But then I went on the Internet and got wrecked. (laughs) Um, But like that's that's kind of like, you know, I got all right at it. Marginally not or like, yeah, not terrible at it. Yeah. So maybe Le- uh, Le- or Valorant I can uh, get not terrible at. Yeah, so I know that feeling. This is how I feel about golf, right? Like I, I've only been out golfing like twice. And I did not understand golf at all because like, everyone was doing so much better than I was. And I remember I chipped it one time onto the green from like, you know, a de- reasonable distance out. And it felt like I was injecting heroin into my eyeball. It was like the best feeling ever. Just that like little glimpse of being good at that like particular activity. And I was like, now I'm into golf. And that's sort of how I feel about these games, right? It's like the learning curve tends to be pretty high. Like everyone else is pretty good, but you'll have that one moment that like suggests, as you just said, that like, yeah, maybe I could be good at this. And that's how I, I, I end up getting kind of hooked into things. And the glimmer of hope. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. Well, transitioning to some news here, uh, more about Valorant. So would you be surprised if I told you that Valorant was the number one streamed uh, game on Twitch last month? No. I, yeah. I was just like, it's kind of like a, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I don't mean it like like in a bad way directed towards you. I mean, it's like a, yeah, duh, because if you logged on to Twitch, it was insane how many views or viewers they were getting compared to any other game for a freaking month or like for the like from the release to the end of the month it it was just it was like 3x yeah so i mean it was the number one uh most viewed with 334 million hours in the month of april alone so number one by a large margin Uh, i think fortnite was number five so that sounds like appropriate to you because they only have four hundred four sorry four million followers on Twitch so far. So not that so, big. I, yeah, I mean, I do want to. There are a few things here like that does sound appropriate. I agree, given the circumstances. But the circumstances definitely were very much in Valorant's favor because a people aren't working, people are gaming way more. B they're also there probably were releases that maybe were not going like decided. Hey, we're we're not going to release. Um, this month because of coronavirus. I don't know. Or just 
that the fact that they decided to go harder with it because everyone was home and you know there was less noise so i think that people are you know so they were they definitely were fortunate that people were home and just ready to game uh yeah. do i think the numbers would still have been pretty damn good hell yes but i don't think it would have been this good yeah no i i agree and i uh, i keep thinking about contrasting the launch of Valorant or kind of even soft launch because the game isn't even officially out yet with the hard launch of Quibi. Are you familiar with Quibi? Uh, yeah, I have a friend uh, who seems to really dislike Quibi to the point that I'm seeing him post their, uh, their like ranking in the, the iPhone app store periodically to just be like, yeah, they're number 74. Yeah. In their in their section, like uh, I think they're just gonna kind of fail. And oh yeah, just kinda... so I mean, what's wildly fascinating about these two launches is Quibi was designed to be basically something that you view in transit, right? Like your your commute on the subway or you know waiting in line at the grocery store, whatever it is. These like five to ten minute videos of serialized dramas or comedies, right? Kind of sounds good on paper. A lot of money behind it, it was a I think a one point seven five billion dollar raise completely fell flat, probably partially due to this uh, this pandemic we're going under and people aren't really leaving their houses. And, you know, you see in the news exactly what you're saying. The download numbers are terrible. Nobody's really watching. It makes sense. On the flip side, you have something like Valorant, which is a game that had a ton of hype. And uh, I'm guessing the audience had a lot of uh, kind of latent demand for it anyway. But the timing, as you pointed out, could not have been better. This thing like completely owns the esports uh, kind of mindshare right now. Everyone is paying attention to it, watching it. You know, as we're going to talk about, there's uh, professional gamers from other games like you know Overwatch and uh, Call or not Call of Duty, um, CS:GO, who are transferring over. It just like everything was teed up for this to be a complete mammoth smash, and it looks like it's delivering. Can we call it the Fortnite effect? You know, is that like uh, they kind of how it went with Fortnite a few three years ago when all of a sudden that was the game that was the it game and there were people that were playing like think about uh yeah think of what games are gonna die because of this you know like uh when you think about what's the PUBG and not even PUBG before that uh I think H1Z1 do you have you ever heard of that game zombie game yeah. Yeah, that was the the it game before PUBG came out, and then PUBG came out, and then the it uh, battle royale game, and then PUBG came out. Cool, that was a great game. Doctor Disrespect loved it, grinded all the time, and then Fortnite came out and obliterated PUBG. You know, PUBG's still around, but it's just like not nearly as you know in the mainstream as Fortnite, maybe. Yeah, I mean, all these. All these games, I think, have like similar skills to where you could transfer if you're, you know, a very high level from one to the other. But it is interesting to see, as you're pointing out, like the field's getting kind of crowded with, you know, Warzone taking kind of like the, you know, kiddie pool. And then Fortnite's still doing crazy business. And they also are having Travis Scott concerts and stuff. Um, it just, it's interesting to see, like, is there going to be a dominant game and then like a long tail of kind of smaller ones? But we have sort of a, like, you know, can there be five successful Battle Royale games? I don't know. And a Valorant. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I hate I hate to be that guy saying this, but, I mean, if you're a shooter, you're going to be uh, able to – it seems like you're able to play whatever you're going to 
play. So it's just like, shooter's going to shoot. Am I right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I got to work on my delivery, you know. But uh, I, I do think that it's crazy how you can just hop from one game to another. Yeah, yeah, the the Monta Ellis or uh, Dion Waiters effect. You just go out there and just keep shooting. I love it. Um, I'm interested to see what what's going to happen because uh, these these numbers are massive, right? So the other interesting thing about this article, and it was reprinted in Venture Beat and a couple of other places. Uh, live stream hours are up 100 percent year over year, but kind of more like impressive than that is 45 percent month over month from March to April. And a big part of that is Valorant, but I would say a much larger part of that is probably, you know, the pandemic. Uh, so it looks like you know, there's a lot of really compelling businesses being built, both like from the platforms themselves, you know, have Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Mixer, and a couple of others, but also like a lot of very massive brands for the individuals who are streaming. You know, Ninja is now a household name. Shroud, I think, is getting close to that. A couple of others. Uh, it's a great time to be a streamer, I guess, is the, the bow all time at that point. Yeah, you uh, you can't beat being a streamer right now if you, I mean, it's just a, it, this is a, str- a streamer's paradise, I guess, right now, where you're just doing what you were doing before, but getting more donations, more subscriptions, and just you know, having more viewers. It's just, it couldn't have worked synced up better for people who work at home and streamers are people who, I mean, granted, there are still like streamers who go out and do IRL stuff, you know, <laughs> they attach a backpack and just like, I remember seeing Andy Milnakis in Japan and get like a thousand views. You can't do that, but just about everything else you still can. And it's pretty great time to be a streamer. It is. And the interesting thing I was thinking about uh, going back to, I think, last week's pod when we were talking about Hearthstone and the Masters and how Purple joined the Masters League because uh, I forget who it was. Someone dropped out essentially because they were making too much money streaming to like even care about the tournament scene, right? Because the entire prize pool for the Was season, that to few? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. It, yeah. But it, it's, it's interesting, right? It's like, so I guess the question I'm, I'm raising is can you be a competitive and I mean like tournament uh, esports player and also do the streaming thing or like, cause in my mind, I'm trying to figure out what would your schedule have to be like to where you can't do both. I know there are some teams that travel obviously with like the overwatch league and uh, the 2k leagues and that kind of stuff. But like, <laughs> is it going to be too compelling the streaming money to like even consider joining the tournaments? Well, I think that there's kind of a, some interesting aspects to it. I do agree that you, I remember seeing Jason Somerville, who's uh, one of the the pioneers in poker streaming, uh, Jake Carver on um, like four years, maybe six years ago, he was streaming 25 cent, 50 cent, no limit, which is like $50 buy-in. And there were 20,000 people watching or something insane like that. He does not need to be better at poker, good at poker, if you're getting that many views, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it, I see what you're saying where it's like, all right, like I log on, I'm, I'm shroud and I have 150,000 people, you know? And, and ultimately I think it, it just depends on your own, what you want. Do you, do, are you streaming because you're, you're in it? You like just like interacting with people. You like the money that you're making or are you streaming because you're just a competitor to the core? And you want to win. And it's like, I feel like at some point there becomes that kind of like, well, what, which one is it? And you kind of go that route. 
Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, I can imagine, I'm not going to call anybody out, but like you're one of those people that doesn't have the personality to hold an audience. So your only option in esports is to, uh, to grind away in the tournament scene or something like that. Cause it's, you know, as you put it out, it's distracting and kind of draining to talk to people on chat and that kind of stuff, which is a big part of streaming. It's, it's performance, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I tried it for a little bit, but I think ultimately you really, you can't just give up after a month, which is kind of what ended up happening. You, <laughs> you like, you know, but granted, if, if you think that it's going to, like, I had a friend who was like, I'm the same guy I was playing Apex with. He's like, I'm, I'm going to grow, I'm going to become like an Apex, uh, you know, uh, pro sponsored pro. And he did it for a month and he, he peaked at like 11 viewers, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just like really hard to build up a stream, it, especially also, um, once your friends are like, you know, your friends can't watch you all the time and you like, maybe someone will show them and be like, Hey man, really nice to sh- watch you stream and something's like, cool. Well, like you're not going to watch me stream for the eight hours I'm grinding poker or something. So you really just have to hundred percent commit to it. And I just didn't feel like I was I was committed at the time. Yeah, I think of it a lot as as like getting started in the stand up comedy scene, right? Like you have to do a lot of empty open mic nights. Like you have to have a lot of sets that resemble that scene from The Joker where he's talking to nobody before eventually like somebody starts to care and you you can kind of build an audience, right? Like it's really hard if you don't already have a following in a network. But it's an interesting topic. I mean, I'm gonna be closely watching kind of how this this shapes like the competitive scene and also i mean like looking at these numbers i gotta start streaming right like i got a good personality you think so right sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah people like me anyway so uh a couple other interesting points of news here really quick there was a um call of duty Warzone tournament that happened last night 13th of may uh where they took nfl players and paired them with streamers to raise money for coronavirus uh, my guy, Marquez Valdez Scanling from the Green Bay Packers, took first, raised $25,000 for COVID. Uh, Terrell Owens, uh, my old favorite player, happened to come in like dead last, but he was also involved. So good to see him back on some sort of competitive format. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a point in here about uh, Popeyes signing some jersey sponsorships. I love Popeyes. I would love to hear more about this. Well, basically, they're dipping their toes in the esports world now. Um, and I guess so it's the Chicago Huntsmen, which are actually in the Call of Duty League. And they're, they're, Popeyes is just going to be on the jersey. And it's their first uh, thing in any type of esport. And I think it's pretty cool. I know that, like, we'll say four years ago, there were kind of fringe, uh, Sponsor or like some of the bigger companies were kind of involved, you know, but now it's just there's tons of big sponsors popping up. Uh, I see like Grubhub in there. I see tons of big sponsors. I mean, that's a bad, bad example, but there are so many big companies that are, are definitely popping in there. And I think maybe McDonald's, if Popeyes is getting in there, how far away is McDonald's from sponsoring something? I wouldn't be surprised if they do somewhere, but I haven't seen anything like it. I would love to see uh, like a redo of those old McDonald's Olympic ads and from the Winter Olympics where like the guy would win the ski slalom and they just shove a camera in his face and be like, do you like McDonald's fries? And he'd say, I love McDonald's <laughs> fries. And, like that was the whole commercial. I'd love to see that with like, you know, uh, CSGO. Someone gets a headshot and then like some fries jump out of his head or something. That could be interesting. Yeah, um, so that's pretty much it for that. I just thought it was kind of a fun little tidbit to see Popeyes. You yeah. Know. I mean, hey, gamers uh, gamers need calories too. 
So I'm curious uh, about this this point here. This seems so like perfectly internet to me. The purple versus green on Grand Theft Auto. You were kind of telling me about this before recording, and we said save it for the pod. So what's going on in Grand Theft Auto Online? Okay, so this is actually kind of uh, like a little. It's pretty cool. Uh, kind of insane. Kind of cool. So basically, I guess this. This one guy decided and his friends were, you know, playing on a Grand Theft Auto and decided they were going to dress up in green alien. You know, like those um, those green. I forget. The, I think they're called morph suits. Yeah, the green man. Like, yeah, from, like uh, green man. Uh, always sunny. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so they decided to dress up as, as those guys, but they have like alien eyes and uh, they kind of just decided to beat these random dudes down or something. And then, so someone else decided they were going to be, because I posted this on Reddit and someone else decided, you know what? We're going to be purple and we're going to be purple aliens and we're going to beat down the green dudes for doing that. And it Ah. became this whole meme on, on Reddit. And then it ended up just taking over grand theft auto. And I just think it's absolutely hilarious. I've been seeing like on, um, uh, on Barstool Game Time, which is like a pretty good like uh, TikTok that Barstool runs for gaming. And they've been posting about how, you know, there'll be a green guy and a purple guy. And they're actually like, I've seen videos. One was they're getting along. It seems like things are good. And then like at the end of the video, purple just kind of does something really fucked up and kills green, you know? And so there is a battle tomorrow at i think it's 8 p.m eastern uh yes eastern time that's gonna take place on the los santos international airport a full-on war so if you are on the green or purple or just want to watch it and you play grand theft auto make sure to be there i think this is absolutely hilarious and kind of just like a product of uh how memes and things get viral in like the, the the COVID world right now. (laughs) Things travel fast. Yeah. Reddit, not just for conspiracy theories anymore. They also are uh, organizing purple versus green race wars on Grand Theft Auto Online. You got to love that. Um, So Adam, transitioning here a little bit, I've developed a couple of habits during Corona and they're, I'm doing them at the same time. And those habits are smoking nice cigars and playing, Runeterra, which is the new card game released by uh, uh, Riot Games here. I know you played it a bit, but it, it got me thinking. We talked last time about how we both kind of love card games. Either those are collectible card games like Magic and Hearthstone, or just like, you know, Go Fish, Poker, whatever. Anything involving some games of chance. So I had kind of an interesting discussion to talk about. Like, why do you love these kind of games? Well, I, I man, that's a... Uh... Well, it's good that it's a discussion because it's not a, a one-word answer. Like, yeah. yes. Uh, I think there are a number of reasons. Uh, I think the randomness that we deal with is kind of cool. Um, the fact that you can just have a deck and you get up by like seven. In Magic, you get seven cards. Hearthstone, I think it's a little more. I forget. Um, no, it's less. It's three, three or four at start. You, but sorry, your maximum hand size is nine, though. 10. Whatever. Oh, 10. Sorry. Yeah. Either way, you get these <laughs> cards and it's just like, if you have 60 cards in the deck, there's a lot of possible combinations that these cards can come. Like, uh, like even playing cards, spades, there's a lot of randomness in all these games. 
And I also, and when there's randomness, there's luck and you, people kind of, they just like the idea of not being in control sometimes, I guess. That's interesting. So you think giving up agency, giving up control, do you think there's some sort of like mentally react relaxing element there? Right. Like that's how I think about it too. Right. Cause in like Warzone, for instance, if I lose, I always feel like it's my fault. In any th- game I play, is I always feel like I could have done something better. But there is that element in card games where it's like that guy just drew the nuts, like what you're talking about with your your draft rod. And there's I, kind of like yeah. a, a nice way to like offload responsibility. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that until you brought that up. It's a good I, I think it's uh, so specifically poker because I've just played it for so long and. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to take it to, you know, to political sense or anything, but the masses don't understand results. Mm -hmm. When I say that they don't understand, they are so results oriented in the way that people think they can't just understand that, Hey, this was a good move. It just didn't work out. Like, Hey, you know, you got into that car crash. Uh, but it was your fault. It was like, it might've been like, you know, like you didn't, you, there was nothing you could have done about that. Like that Mm -hmm. happens sometimes. It's just bad luck or, you know, like randomization kind of happening, or you just, you ended up winning the lotto. Like there was really nothing you did. You put some numbers in and it was no skill. You shouldn't have an ego regarding it, but you all of a sudden you have $10 million. So you just feel like, up, yep. Like I, I did it. Like I succeeded, but it's like, nope, there was really nothing that, uh, that happened there. But I just think it's interesting that we don't understand when it's sorry. It's really hard, especially in poker when you play a hand and you think, or you win a tournament, you're like, Oh, well I was the best player in the tournament. So clearly I was the best. That's a really bad way of thinking. You will have a big downswing at some point. If you think like that, because there's always, you always should be improving in anything you play and maybe in life too. Um, and a lot, and I bet you there was no way that you actually got there without getting lucky at some point. You had to have gotten it in uh, with like 30% equity once or twice during the course of the tournament to win. It's just how it goes. So we kind of forget our brain for whatever reason forgets. Like remember when you think about when you play uh, poker and you like talk about aces, you always remember how you lost aces, but you don't, you, your brain just kind of like, is like, well, I was supposed to with, a- with aces. So I, I don't remember those, those ones, mm-hmm. but a- any casual poker player will immediately tell you about that time that they lost. And it's like, I just don't care about listening to that because it's just noise to me because it just is a relevant results oriented thinking a lot of times. Does that make yeah. sense? No, that makes complete sense. And one, one of the things I was thinking about as you were saying that is uh, you kind of bring up this element of how poker and these games involved some element of skill, but also a large component of luck kind of retrain your brain to think not as you put it, like obsessed on the outcome, like fixated on the outcome. It's more about the process and kind of taking a, a probabilistic view of things, right? Because your job as a professional poker player or to like win any card game is to do the right move as frequently as possible, but also accept that like a certain percentage of the time, you're just not going to win, even if you do have aces, right? And so the other aspect of that that I love is that over time, it trains you to kind of take a longer view, right? Like a pro poker career is not made like in one hand or even one game or even one month or one tournament. 
for the most part, right? It's like a a long view that you have to take and be consistently winning and knowing it's like a full body be, of work. Yeah, yeah exactly. Knowing there's going to be long stretches where even if you're playing your best, you're, you're just going to you know come up snake eyes again and again to use a, a dice reference there. <laughs> and I kind of like that because I think I think card games actually parallel life pretty well. Yes, that way. I've said that a lot about poker, yeah. and, and and I really think it does. And I mean, as like dramatic as that car crash example was, geez, that got dark May- for a second. <laughs> it's uh, it actually is true though, right? It's like you could do the right stuff, and like bad things can happen, and that's okay. It's just like it's part of life. It's part of the game. Your goal is then to just like leave that you know, loss, that event, whatever happened in the past, and just like continue moving forward, knowing that like, hey, all you can do is is play your best hand, and these are the cards you have. So I think my reason for loving these games is it, you you took us right there is it's exactly that. Like card games, I think, are the closest uh, approximation of real life, right? You think about investing, it's the same thing. You can model the risk out. You can have like a pretty good uh, like idea of what's going to happen. But crazy things can happen in the market and you lose money or your investment goes sideways, whatever. But like all you can do is like look at your inputs and say, like, hey, I, I had... Uh, I made the right decisions based on what I had and just keep moving forward. So yeah, I think it's a good facsimile for life. Yeah, uh, I I completely agree. Uh, Also, one thing I kind of realized was every hand of poker, you're making decisions, but literally every day you're making decisions as well. So Mm -hmm. really it's just like a a number of, I, I mean, I make I made a decision to do this podcast today. You know, like there's decisions in literally everything. There's what, what am I eating for dinner? I don't know. So it's like it's and what's funny is it's kind of hard to turn off. Like, well, then like for me, I became obsessed with like like have you ever seen Master of None? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Of there's there's a scene that is just so perfect for me when choosing where to eat, where uh, Aziz and I think Eric, uh, I forget his last name. The, the big guy, the, the, the white dude, 6'8", glasses, mm-hmm. um, Eric Morheim, I think, whatever. So him and Aziz are trying to figure out where to eat for an hour because they don't want to make the wrong decision. Uh, they're like, oh, I, what do I want? I want tacos. I don't know. I don't know. Well, what's the five star? Is it, is it five stars on Yelp? Uh, it's only 3.5. And then it's just like – Sometimes you just got to make the decision and move forward and not be like, oh, we made the wrong decision and live in regret. And it's just like kind of how it goes with life and poker sometimes. Yeah. Um, and gaming, actually. just that, yeah. that's, that's all very true. I mean, speaking of decisions, I made a decision to wear a, a fishing shirt for this podcast. And I've been doing this during Corona where I wear outdoor wears in, indoor. <laughs> you like got to re- use this, this, you know, exactly. You, you, instead of, it's instead of doing laundry, you might as well just use a shirt that you haven't worn in a while. It's that it's also, I'm, I'm reclaiming my inner field and stream. I may be trapped in this, uh, in this box, you know, a pandemic, but my mind is free. Um, there you go. Yeah. So kind of moving on the other side of this, I think we both obviously love being players of the games, but in terms of the viewing experience, if you're a fan, whether you are deeply immersed in the game and the meta or kind of just like someone who watches poker on TV occasionally, how do you think the fan experience compares to like playing a card game? So I think that that is really interesting compared to sports because in sports, you have to have the physical ability. You have to maybe maybe you're born with just like a fantastic fantastic genes and you worked hard worked out six seven days a week and have the like you know 
you're 6'10", and you can play basketball. Whereas in poker or just games in general, once you learn how to be competent at the game, you can at least have be like you know a backseat driver and just be like well i would have done that you know so just being able to have your own voice in poker magic hearthstone like league of legends whatever it is you can try to at least put yourself into their shoes and it's especially interesting with Poker and basically any element of luck of game that that or sorry, any game that has an element of luck because they can't really know 100 percent what was always right because like they're still kind of like, you know, people will just see the luck and be like, well, you shouldn't have done that. You know, like you, you got, you got unlucky. Well, you shouldn't have put yourself in position. I don't, you know, it's, it's funny how people are rational regarding that. Yeah. That is true. The other thing I think about it, contrasting, uh, you know, card games online versus other esports is there's not, because there's not like a mechanical skill being displayed. You know, we talk about with Dota and Valorant, right? There's all these different things happening. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of reactions. That whole element does not really exist in card games. So do you think there is a similar it's very display? Pure. It's very exactly. simple. It is. But from a viewing experience, do you think like there's still a, a an idea that you're watching a lot of skill happening, you know, between the two competitors. If you're not deeply immersed in that particular game, I would say almost always, yeah. Yeah. Like when I so I, I just you know like I'm I'm sorry you know I don't mean to go back to poker, but I really just think that it is a very good Your livelihood. Yes, my livelihood. So when I would play poker with, so I, I ran a few tournaments uh, with like friends in LA. They're picking it up for the first time. I have to dumb myself down so much to even try to talk poker with them. And I am constantly telling myself how bad I am at poker with my peers. You know, when I play, you know, like kind of, it's like one of those things, maybe it's not, not that self-loathing, but I mean, yeah, but you know, you're, when you're, well, it's more of like when you're competing against like people at a high level, you, you start thinking like in those terms, but then you forget that there are people down, like way down, you know, who don't eat for level zero, who don't know how to play poker at all or barely know how that when you make a move, they're like, wow, dude, that was the sickest thing I've ever seen. And you're like, yeah, like that's just like a normal hand for me. Yeah. And it's not even like being cocky. It's just like the way it is once you become so adept at a certain game. So I think because of that, it is really interesting for just a casual viewer to kind of take in. Yeah, I think that's true. As you were saying that I was <laughs> for some reason thought of uh, that scene with Topher Grace in Ocean's Eleven where he's, uh, you know, the celebrity at the uh, LA poker game and everyone's just like taking his money and he's loving it. I don't know why. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Or just- the one where he's like, uh, I got a flush. Yeah. All reds. Yeah, All reds, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Topher, all reds, Grace, my guy. Well, that's interesting. So I definitely agree with the the viewing experience, but, you know, I've tried to watch some, some magic tournaments and I found that even though I have like a very solid understanding of the core mechanics of the game, because I didn't necessarily know the decks themselves, I would see people do things like concede when they seemed like they were in a position where they could still win and all these other things. And it was so obvious to everybody else. Like, oh my God, that guy's got, you know, this card or this combination. 
But because I didn't have the like the vocabulary due to not understanding the particular cards, as a viewer, it kind of was like jarring. I was like, wait a minute, why is he quitting? It looks like he's up, right? So how do you think – do you think there is like a, a need to kind of translate these games to people who don't necessarily understand the particulars of it for these sports to grow as you know competitive esports? Or do you think they're always going to kind of just be for the people who are invested enough to know like the individual cards? Well, for specifically Magic, I think the problem was they didn't have a good uh, app or a program to use. Besides, like Magic Online, just it was terrible. It sh- like Hearthstone shouldn't have even existed if they had just been more proactive mm-hmm. with making Magic Online better. Now that there's Magic Arena, you can just hop on and you can kind of just like look at what the deck is to play and verse yourself in that, you know, and understand what it is after not that long. Understand like, so it doesn't, it doesn't actually take, yeah, you have to play magic, but you, you can't just watch and understand it. It takes a little bit now, but it's a lot more accessible than it ever was because of magic arena. Yeah. Um, so like there's, so it's like, if you're, you know, years ago, yeah, you'd have to log on to magic online buy these cards and just kind of like, like it's just not a good experience really to understand. You just had to be too committed. And I think that's, what's good about Hearthstone. It doesn't like you can at least play and understand kind of what's going on. I, I, what do you think about the viewing experience of the Hearthstone? So it's actually, this is exactly what I was going to segue is the experience is pretty solid, but I think like a big requirement that they understood was having really uh, accessible casters, right? So shout out to my guy, Frodan. Like they're very good in the tournament scene about walking you through why what's happening is happening and like what the thought process probably is in the individual players. And I, it reminds me of, uh, of poker, like the World Series of Poker. I forget the you know poker announcer. Uh, you, I'm sure you know who it is. But they always do it. Norman Chatter or yeah, Norman. Karen? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They always do a great job of being like, hey, this is why this is an exciting hand. Here's what he's probably thinking. Here's his decision tree. Here's probably where he's going to end up. Oh, he did. This is exciting. Like, I love that process of it. Because I think the reason card games are actually more interesting as a viewing experience, uh, maybe than other people might, is exactly that, right? Like, because the turns have a timer, uh, and there's like room to breathe. It's not like a purely reactionary experience. You actually get to kind of, through these casters and through your own kind of thought process, be like, I wonder what he's thinking about or she's thinking about in this situation. Like, what does their, uh, like, what's their thought process here? And that to me is fascinating. And that's why that's I think That's actually poker, a fantastic point. Yeah, yeah I think that's why I, poker yeah. is so interesting to watch um, with really knowledgeable personalities, you know, casting it. So and, the original, the the guy who started the World Poker Tour... I think his name is Steve Lipscomb. He was the person who started utilizing whole cam cards in in the in the poker tables. Mm-hmm. And that allows you firsthand experience of doing exactly what you're saying, where you can just be like, I have queens here and this is what I would do. And they're not doing that. Why are they not doing that? Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. And then you just start asking yourself all these questions and it creates a fantastic viewing experience because it's like you're, you're challenging yourself while you're watching it as well. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. It really allows you to compare your own decisions that you would make versus the people who are actually at the highest level and are making those decisions, right? To, to your point, right? In this scenario, yeah. I have queens. I know the table. I know what's happened. Here's what I would do. And then you see someone do something completely orthogonal to that. And you're like, that blew my mind, right? Because it's, exactly. it's the element of the unexpected, right? It, going back to one of my favorite movies, The Prestige, they set up the thing and then they took it away, Right. Uh, I I love that. So I know we're running a little short on time here, but I'm I'm curious, kind of the theme of our podcast is obviously the meta of of sports and esports. So like the meta of poker, how does that, how do you think about the meta game? How has it evolved? Uh, So I think it's actually pretty interesting. Um, When I started thinking about this and for a while, back in the day, there was, there were certain players who just had a knack for do for poker. They just naturally understood how to beat the 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 players that were like in the you know that playing with them at the time. And then you see them do something and you instead of being like that was terrible, you'd be like why did they do that? Mm-hmm. You know? Like it, it, there, there's definitely a good amount of ego because you're playing with these players and you like really want to make sure that they're doing stuff right, but also sometimes they're beating you while doing this stuff and you're just like ah i can't figure out why they're beating me what are they doing and then you start studying their game and you learn from them and then you learn from them and then it kind of builds and you get good and then people are like why are you doing this and then they change from that like it's just kind of like this ever-evolving uh meta but the meta is more about like kind of learning where it's like years ago it was just Peer, player to player, you'd hop on forums, you'd talk about this, and you just would respect whatever this player said because he was the best player in the world. And then now it's there's these programs, one's called PO Solver, where it literally will break down a hand for you. For It takes like 15, 20 minutes to break down a certain situation, and it'll say – this is how you should play every single hand in your of the possible hands in your range in the, in the situation. And then now we're all learning from that. And it's like at some point you have to be like, is this person playing like he knows how to play like he, he studies PO Solver or is he playing not like that? Exploitably is what they call it. So. Mm-hmm. You kind of have that's kind of the meta game where it's interesting. It's like, you know, it used to be studying other things or this. And now it's just like, you know, that's kind of how. And, and after a while of playing even against the, the great players, you can kind of deviate and it will throw people off sometimes. And, you know, that that's kind of like uh, what's interesting about just like meta game in general is that, you know, if you throw a rock a hundred times, you're just going to assume you're going to, you know, but then you go throw scissors and they're just, they're not going to kind of expect it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So I was thinking about, uh, as you're talking about the PO solver and kind of like the computer tool assisted era of poker where people have, you know, really complex algorithms, essentially deciding like the perfect hand. Remind me of uh, AlphaStar, the uh, Google DeepMind project to play StarCraft II. Did you ever watch any of these? Uh, did they? Is that the one that Elon Musk like kind of sponsored, and then they beat? Um, or I'm thinking of the one that beat Dota. So that was uh, the Dota two, uh, the Dota two program. This is an earlier one. Uh, I think this actually came later. This was last year or two years ago. 
So it was really interesting because Alpha Alpha Star, I think is what it was called, had all these like super complex strategies that eventually pro players started like baking into their their own strategies. So there was like this whole meta of StarCraft II before and after. Essentially, computers showed us all these different really weird ways to play. Um, and like really basic stuff, like the computer had kind of figured out that the stalker unit, are you familiar with the stalker in StarCraft II? No. So it's a relatively like low tier uh, unit, but what it has is the ability to like blink, like rapidly move across or teleport across uh, a land, uh, like a, a segment of land in the map. So you can move really quickly in kind of these strategic ways. And Was it like kind of a scout? Yeah. So it's a, oh, it's, a okay. it's like a tank that can like teleport a short yeah. distance. And, you know, people will like use them, but not in the ways that the computer would. They were just like devaluing this kind of basic unit. And now it's like it runs like the StarCraft II meta, basically, is like stalker <laughs> meta. Uh, it's just like those kind of basic things that it takes some sort of computer to uncover. And it sounds like there's similar things in uh, in poker going on. Yeah, there was like one uh, thing that the PO solver loved, which is check raising the flop. As in, like someone bets and then you raise the flop with, and you're. It's not like it's not like you do this occasionally, which is what we all thought. You would do it with like good hands and some bad hands. It was like you do it thirty percent of the time of like everything in your hand, which is like like good, bad, medium hands, and it's just like no one was thinking like that. You could just like, and it's crazy in like you're saying that it's just, just change how we all think about poker. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds super interesting. I've, uh, I haven't looked into much into that, but I would love to kind of see the, the eras of poker and how people uh, have played. Cause now that it's like, you know, very serious sport and there's computers involved, I imagine it's a very different game than when, uh, you know, Ed Thorpe was, was breaking down the casinos back in the day. Completely. So uh, kind of our final little funny question here. We were, we were discussing metas, and I was curious, what is the funniest game in terms of discussing a meta that you could think of? So my, my suggestion was Go Fish. Could there be a meta that could be taken seriously for Go Fish? I was uh, curious. You know, I haven't actually played Go Fish in so long. I don't even know how it plays anymore, but I know it's Barely. very simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like... Do you know Werewolf? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Werewolf, there there becomes meta in that. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, where there's certain spots where you're just like, all right, this is what the the, the right thing to do is here. and the, But like, you kind of have to, I, I mean, if, if this person knows that I know this, now we're kind of on the, that level. And uh, I think it's really interesting. I mean, like I said, rock, paper, scissors. There's mm-hmm. freak. Uh, honestly, I, I think when we say you know to our the title of our podcast above the meta i think if you look at what the meta meta game means in uh the dictionary it's just like the game about the game and it's like an approach to a game that transcends or operates outside of the prescribed rules of the game mm-hmm. and essentially when you're trying to stay above the meta ahead of the curve essentially that's what we're doing and I think that that's just kind of like a good way of thinking about life also. You know, there, there's metagame in life trying to figure out, you know, certain things like, oh, well, this is what the masses are doing. Well, maybe it's time for me to think about another approach. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know? uh, like with jobs. I totally, 
I totally agree with that. And you're getting philosophical in real life. And I love that. I mean, I think about my own kind of decision matrix back in the day. I went to school in uh, in Illinois and everyone I knew went to Chicago. And that was like the meta decision, right? Was just to yeah. go to school in Chicago. And I was like, what's the what's the thing I can do that transcends that short side? <laughs> I moved to California and I've been paying 12.5% state tax ever since. You know, I always think about like basic games with metas. Like the first time I really was aware of a meta game, I would say, is when I was quite young at family reunions. We played a lot of hearts. Have you played the card game hearts? Yeah, shooting the moon. Fun game. So that's exactly it. Like the first time someone shot the moon in our little family group, like everyone was trying to position themselves to be able to shoot the moon because it's such a overwhelmingly visceral experience, right? Like you get zero points. Everyone else gets 26 points, the maximum. And the entire time up until you do it, you look like an idiot. And then you look like the smartest guy in the world. It reminds me of uh, that scene from The Big Short with uh, Christian Bale's character. You know, he loses money. His investors are like, why do you keep losing money? He's going crazy. Everyone's quitting, trying to withdraw their cash. And then when, you know, the uh, the mortgages fail, he's there. And he goes to the whiteboard and just writes up the like 7,000% the hedge funds up. And that's what shooting the moon like felt like. I remember the first time we did it. It and, feels uh, so good. Yeah. yeah. So that was like, actually, I'm doing this and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's that moment where you go from feeling powerless because you're taking all these points to like literally unstoppable. And like there's that collective feeling that the other three players have that like we just allowed this person to completely dunk on us. And I love that. And that's how I feel about uh, like when I play Hearthstone, I play meta decks versus like a counter meta deck, right? I play all these games where I like kind of lose because I'm playing a sort of intentionally inferior deck. But then you queue into that one deck that everybody's playing where it's like the most aggro, boring thing ever. And you just completely dumpster them. And you're like this, I feel like a God. (laughs) Yeah. It feels great when the meta kind of goes well. But uh, one thing I will say is that I was always like that guy, like the guy who wanted to think so deeply about the meta that it ends up shooting myself in the foot, where it's kind of just like Occam's razor, where you should be like, just play the simple deck that is the best. You don't need to get too fancy uh you know calm down sometimes but then other times it really is just right to uh kind of play the meta uh one thing that i would say that's not necessarily a game but i literally wrote a blog about this like a decade ago maybe 15 years ago i don't even know but i thought it was hilarious It's, it's in the the dregs of the internet i don't think it exists anymore uh but so have you ever you know when you give someone a handshake I've done it before, yeah. And then, yeah, once or twice. Maybe not anymore. <laughs> not recently. Corona, post-corona. Been all but, elbow bumps for a while. Yeah. But the thing is, is now, but there was a period of time where the fist bump was like really picking up some steam. So when I would go in, and this is what the blog was about, and I thought it was hilarious. So when I'd go in for a, a fist bump, people would be, because I just decided one day I don't like handshakes. Like your hands are sweaty. My hands, like we don't, you know, like it's like the germ thing. And I was like, I'm just going to fist bump everyone. Well, watching the person going in for the handshake, realizing that I'm going in for the fist bump and then him doing this is just, and then me realizing that he's going like for the fist bump now and I'm switching my hand is just hilarious to me. And that in itself is a meta game where you're just like everyone just of the hand of handshakes. So everyone just thinks you're going in for the normal handshake and then they realize, so they react, but then you react and it's just like, it ends up being extremely awkward. 
And then but, there's the absolute counter meta meta or counter counter meta where you go in for the turkey. They do the fist pump and you just go palm turkey. There you go. It's a good hedge. So you, <laughs> yeah. It's not that awkward. All right, man. Well, I think that's everything we got for this week. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, this was just fun. An hour flew by. And, uh, you know, let's do this again in a few weeks. Hopefully, uh, I'm picking team green because it's my favorite color tomorrow. Hope I'll go really. team purple because, again, I'm counter meta. Uh, so fair, fair enough. So where can everybody find you? at uh, On Twitch and Twitter at Ruthless20? Uh, at Ruthless with two O's on Twitter. Uh, Instagram and Twitch, it is at Ruthless with two zeros. There you go. And I'm on Twitter uh, at Patrick Darmody and on Twitch at Above the Meta, although Adam will also be on that hopefully soon. Yes. Uh, that's everything I think we got. Adam, take care. All right, see you around. Yeah, put you down to keep you in, put you down to keep you in. I'll be working for a minute. Yeah, so I can flex to say I did it. Yeah, they don't wanna see you in. Yeah, put you down to keep you in.